Hello, everybody. My name is Lon Strohschein, former public company executive turned lifestyle engineer. One year ago, I left my job as a public company executive, and I left without a resume, without another job, without a Rolodex of clients. But I left anyway. I left believing that the best years of my life were in front of me and knowing that they weren't going to be found where I was standing. I left and my mission has become to inspire the lives of a thousand dudes, to inspire the dude I used to be, to go do the things they want to do. My job here is to give you courage to finally act. And it's to remind you that dude, at this stage in life, nobody shows up to do it for you, but I'm here and I'll travel that highway with you. Thanks for being here. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you along the normal 40 highway. Welcome back to Normal 40, the podcast. I am your co-pilot, your co-host. My name is Adam Eaton. And as always, I am joined by the lead pilot, the founder of Normal 40, and a dude you absolutely need to know, aka a dude from the internet, Mr. Lon Strohschein. Lon, welcome back, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing so good. You know, this, this title, A Dude from the Internet, I'm growing to really love it. I just, I just think it's... I, I like being this unassuming, kind of below the radar, just a dude from the internet. I mean, wh who needs to be more than that, really? It's a catchy title. Um, to be fair, as far as I know, it's also self-adorned. I believe you gave that name to yourself. I don't know that that was given to you by others, which is an odd way to get a nickname. We'll talk about that later. But I think that makes a perfect shirt. Let's. You should just get some shirts made that just say dude from the internet. on the. I, I feel like that's a you know, a, a money-making uh, enterprise that you could start here as part of the Norma 40 uh, community. Yeah, true story. A dude from the internet. I do like that. That's a pretty cool tagline. And uh, we talked last week or two weeks ago, maybe it was about um, names for the for the podcast, which, you know, we should ramble on that a little bit. We we got a, we got a few. Um, but I get asked all the time about swag, normal 40 mm -hmm. swag, normal 40 logo wear. And, I, and, you know, I have this hat that goes with me everywhere. It goes to the farm. It's actually sitting right over here. I should just go put it on. And after a year and a month, it's getting kind of, it's, it's getting, it's, it's showing its wear, but I get asked all the time, how can I buy this hat? And I'm like, well, this one cost me like $38. Cause I bought one. I'm like, I don't think you want to spend 50 bucks. And that, and more times than not, I hear, yeah, you know what? I would, I would spend 50 bucks. So anyway, at some point we're going to have to, I'm going to, we're going to have to rethink our, our, uh, our money-making venture here and maybe offer some swag. It's a, it's a great initiative. I think it just speaks to the community of normal 40, how much they want to be involved and how much they appreciate the work that you put in long day in and day out. And then this episode is going to be a little bit more about that work. So it, it may be a tad self-indulgent at times, but please forgive us on the front end, because I also think it's a very important topic. And, and, and really one thing I know that you've talked about consistently, Lon, that we have not dove into at any great level of detail is the project you've been working on for many months now. I'll let you give more of that in the background. But for those who don't know, in, in addition to this, you know, uh, world famous podcast and everything you see from Lon on LinkedIn and uh, his, his newsletter, his websites and the rambles he's done, Lon has been hard at work in his spare time, of which I'm not sure where that comes from, but in his spare time, writing his first book. It's going to be called The Trade, and Lon has been hard at work over the past many, many months putting words to paper that sort of encapsulate what normal 40 means. So first off, Lon, I, I want to start there. We're in an age now where everything is YouTube videos and TikToks and sound bites and, you know, everyone digests content in, in such small, short, fa uh, you know, fashions, if you will. But to me, a book is such a connective tool. It's something that really, you know, gives you the opportunity to, to sit down and sink your teeth into something. So for you, why was a book something that you wanted to do? You have so many content avenues. Why a book for you? I, uh, you know, crazy story. Right when I graduated from college, the story actually goes back quite a ways. I, um, when I was in college and high school and the, um, I was told kind of, pretty consistently that I was a lousy writer um, and lousy is probably being generous. I mean, and I would, and I probably was, you know, uh, bad handwriting, bad speller. Part of that kind of comes, I'm sure from, from 
I have dyslexia. Part of it stems from that. Part of it stemmed from the fact that I probably didn't care as much as I should have at the same time. And, and so I, I kind of went through all the way through college. I got a college degree believing when I got my diploma that I was kind of a horseshit writer. And I didn't believe that because um, I was making it up. I believe that because people would tell me like, like not just people, but like my professors and, you know, I'd write a cover letter and have somebody look at it and they're like, Oh my gosh, you gotta, I, I did, this is a rewrite. Okay. And then, um, so fast forward, I learned through my professional work and some, some hard work at cleaning up how I presented what I was writing. I learned that I was actually a damn good storyteller and I could write content that related to people. So way before, way before any social media even existed, I had to communicate with my higher, higher ups, which were pretty high up through writing. And I learned through that process that from people who were excellent writers, that my writing and my content was exactly what they were looking for. And for the first time in my life, I realized, son of a gun, I can actually write. So it was in that moment, my first job out of college, when I, when I got the, the inkling that, look, maybe I've been misinformed all along and maybe I'm not a horseshit writer. Maybe I'm pretty decent. And at that time, it was, it was 1999. And I, re I remember that, you know, this is a huge desktop computer. The monitor is a foot and a half deep. I mean, this big, big, huge computer. I sat down with my, my whatever, two and a half inch plastic floppy disk, whatever the heck size that was. I don't even remember. But anyway, and I wrote that I wrote the first two pages of what I called, I should write a book. And I still have them. I have them to this day. They didn't make this book, but I, I decided in 1999, this is a long way of me saying, where did this come from? In 1999, I decided that I wanted to live a life that was interesting enough to deserve a book. And this was before kids is way before I met my wife. And so, but the seeds of, I want to, I want to do something that endures and lasts. And I want to live a life worth reading about kind of sprung up in me. So fast forward from 1999 to, well, 2022, when I started writing this book, I mean, my life, I, I, I could have never imagined the life that I was going to have and the decisions I was going to make and the trade I was going to make and ultimately. And um, when, it, when, it, when I resigned my position and I came, I didn't know what I was going to do. I came to LinkedIn and I just started writing about it, what I was feeling, what I went through, how I arrived at my decision to go what, how I was not positive on what I was going to do next, but I was ready to bet on myself, all of the emotion I went through along the way, how I reasoned through financially, if this was the time to do it, all of those things, all of those things that I went through before I resigned, I wrote about. And I realized once I did my inbox, my email inbox, just, just flooded from dudes all over the world saying, this is my story. How'd you know it was in my head? How'd you know you had enough? What'd your wife say? Um, what did your boss say? What are you going to do if, if you if you can't have an income for a month? Will you go back to work with W-2 income? You name it. I had every question under the, under the sun and I realized, okay, wait a minute. This isn't an accident. This is, there is something to this. And as I kept going and building, I realized that this was my opportunity to tell my story, to connect the dots of my life that led me to this moment, this moment of this podcast right here and do it in a way that shows people what was possible for me can be possible for them if they follow some 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 basic rules a and b not to get so busy this is the other message of the book don't get so busy in your day job that you miss the things that are happening right under your nose the things that really matter and so those are the two messages i wanted to get across and that's in a nutshell what uh, what the driver behind the trade was We'll get into some of the content in a second, I guess. I think it's 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 really interesting if you've been following along on the podcast. I'm curious to see how some of the same things we talk about have, have found their way in the book. But I'm, I'm just curious really quickly on, on your process. Uh, are, you know, are you writing in the morning? Are you writing at night? Are you are you someone that sort of needs a, a certain uh, headspace to write? Take us a little bit through the process for those who obviously haven't written a book and, and and maybe never will. What's the process look like from an author's perspective? How did you get yourself in the right frame of mind to talk about some of these things? Every every author, I think, comes up with their own process, and, and I'll give you mine. Mine comes from. So I, I started the process probably in September when, when I really got serious. Um, I, I sat down with, with an individual who I didn't know a year ago. I met him around the same time I met you, Adam, a guy by the name of Jeremy Brown and you and he have just become, um, really central to the last year of my life. 
And, and it's all because of normal 40, but I contacted Jeremy because he'd published hundreds of books and he's my neighbor and I'd never met him. I had never met him. In fact, I had to call a friend to ask what his name was again. I, I couldn't even recall that. So, um, I, this started in September and I had by that point knew that I had a book in me and I knew the stories that I'd been hearing from people over the six months prior were going to help populate the pages. So my process to this day remains, I get up as I get up quite early, usually 5am or before my alarm goes off at 5am. And a lot of times my alarm doesn't go off. I'm up. And, and in those first, the first hour of the morning, I'm doing some form of exercise, some form of meditating and writing. So when the house is dark and quiet and, and lonesome is when I'm doing my best writing. And so that's when I would, I would start eking out the pages. Okay. What's this chapter? What's the thread that I'm going to pull through the next chapter? What's the thread I'm going to pull through the whole book? What's the story that needs to be told right here that people can relate to? And what is the authentic emotional, um, vulnerable piece of life I can put into this chapter that's going to tie what I've experienced with what other people are experiencing every day. And I would do that in the morning. Um, and, and so I kind of, I would say I got the book to a 40 to 50% state doing that. And Jeremy and I would check in every other week um, and we'd bounce some ideas off one another. And then what he and I would do is we would, we would talk it out. We would, we would talk through the chapters. It was like an interview. We'd talk through the chapters. I'd have my notes and then I'd go write. Okay. So that, that got me, like I said, 40 to 50% of the way through the book. Then what I did, and I will do it again when I do my next book and I already have it titled is, um, I go away to be lonesome. And I went to, you know, I went, well, that's what actually, when I met you, I went to Florida, which, you know, doesn't sound, it doesn't, it's not lonely there. Uh, um, you, you, there's people everywhere, but there's nobody I really knew. There was nobody. I was, my mission was to go sequester, sit by myself and just crank out as much positive content that I could do. And every day I, I put thousands of words down every single day. And in fact, my best day, I probably managed to get about 8,000 words out, which for a book of this size, it's not a huge book. That's a lot, a powerful lot. And so that was my process. I got it to a 50% state, feeling really great about it, had it chaptered, knew what the themes are going to be of each chapter. And then I went away. Um, and I, I put in many, many hours um, through the course of about five or six days by myself, feeling all of the emotions you feel when you're by yourself and you're lonely. And that's, that is an emotion I've learned really um, spurs creativity in me is to be lonely. Um, and, and I, and I just knocked it out. And if I do another book, when I do another book, that's exactly what I'm going to do. How does this book either complement or, um, you know, sort of, you know, run parallel to the things that you talk about here on the podcast, or maybe in, in some of your LinkedIn posts, how, how much deeper are you able to go with this book? Maybe than we have time for on this show, or you have time for on LinkedIn? Yeah, great question. Uh, a lot, a lot. You know, I, I tell everyone, one of the secrets I reveal kind of when I'm doing my one-on-one -on -one rambles on occasion, I, I don't do it often, is I sat down um, before, well before I resigned about a year and a month or two before I resigned. It was January of 21. And um, I sketched out what I was feeling and what became kind of the curriculum of the normal 40, if you will. And I realized that we kind of go through these and I, and I write about this. I write about each of these steps and, and we, we kind of realize we're on autopilot and all these things. We talked about this in some earlier podcasts, but we talk about this lonely feeling of we're not, we're not as driven as we once were. We're doing great work. First of all, let's start there. We're doing great work. We're doing exactly what we're hired to do. We're not letting anyone down. All of that is check, 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 but we're, we're not feeling fulfilled. We're not feeling the climb. We're not feeling the joy we used to feel. And we're not volunteering for the jobs we used to volunteer for. And we got kind of this stagnant feeling. And I call that autopilot. And, and you realize you get into this box. And it's, it's all those feelings you have when you're in the box where you've got the title and there's not much risk. And it's good enough. And you've got all the associations based on your title. And you've got the great reputation based on how much climbing you've done in such a more short amount of time. You've got the safety of a great compensation package. You've got a wonderful image. Um, 
that that you've kind of manicured for yourself. It's safe. You've got good confidence, and it doesn't really have a lot of fear. I mean, you could get we, anybody can get laid off any day, but you probably don't go to bed thinking, "Well, tomorrow I'm, I might get canned." It's kind of this nice little place that you always wanted to be, but it's you realize it's kind of this box. So when I show up to LinkedIn, that's where I punch. I punch at that guy who feels like he's in a box or gal that they're in a box. They've 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 checked all the boxes. They've achieved everything they wanted to achieve. They've climbed, grown, scratched, clawed, and they've made it to some level, they've made it, but they're no longer feeling fulfilled. And, and I, that's where you, so when you see me on LinkedIn, I'm talking to that person. I'm trying to agitate that feeling so that it knocks down one of those walls of that box. And I write about the box is actually the title of one of, uh, one of the chapters. I, I talk about what it's like to knock down that box. And I try to do that on LinkedIn. And what's different about the book is I talk about, okay, let's, Let's assume you've got this wall knocked down. Now here's what you do. Here's the process after that. Here's how you're going to feel. Here's the, here are the four things you've got to concentrate on to finally one day get to the place where you can make a trade. And they're not complicated. They're obvious, in fact, but they're hard as hell. They're hard. So, uh, but, but I detail that out on what I did, what others have done, what I coach people to do. And, um, and it's simple four-step process that, that, that I take people through. But the book allowed me to actually do that, to do that in a way that isn't a post, that isn't a snippet. Um, and uh, and, and I, I'll tell you, the book was as good for me to write and as therapeutic for me to write as hopefully it is for the reader to read. Well, don't leave us hanging there. What are those four steps? What are the four things that you sort of focused on in, in, that, uh, in that message? Yeah, it, it's really pretty simple. Um, what I realized is, in I didn't understand this at a, at the time. So I left in February of 22. I left my I left my position, and pro- it was before COVID. Um, so probably the end of 2019, I started to have this feeling of, guys, is this it? You know, is, so I, is is this all I'm going to be? And then I would I would go through all of the guilt and shame of why don't I? If this is all there is, shouldn't I just be happy? I mean, look look at my office, look at my staff, look at my colleagues, look at my coworkers, look at my office look at my title, look at all the things I get to do. And it's a spectacular job. I didn't ever hate my job. I didn't, I loved it. But at the end of the day, I would still wonder if I was being called to something more. And that started years ago. Um, And so as I, after I made the trade, I went back and I analyzed, what did I do? And I did a lot. I, and I, thankfully I wrote all about it in real time because I'm a, I'm a right, I'm a note taker. And I realized that around that time, around, and it was actually January of 2020, just before COVID, I was exploring. I had to start exploring what it is that maybe, just maybe I might do next. What of my core talents, core skills, things that I don't get to use as much as I get, as I use it at, in my corporate job, what are my core skills that I want to just blow up, that I want to lean into, that I want to do more with? And I had to explore what that could be. That could be a new job in my same company. That could be a new job in a different company. It could be a new industry with a new company. It could be betting on myself and creating my own company. And I think you know that I I opted for the last. It can be a number of things. The point is, step one is to explore. And you've got to give yourself permission to start taking some of your time and exploring little experiments, exploring what is it maybe that I might want to do next. And so for me, to answer that question is, I love I love mentoring people. I love grooming people. I love growing people. I love seeing them be successful. And I got to do that as a general manager of a division. And I got to do it as a corporate executive. So I went and got my coaching certification because I was going to continue to do that inside of my company. And I did that. And I realized when I did that, I was good at it and I loved it and it played to all my strengths. And so I, I continue to do that inside of Raven. So that was me exploring then I spent money to go get my certification. That's step two, learning and investing. You're probably going to have to spend some money or spend time for sure, really dialing in. Do I really like this or not? Was it just a fantasy that I had that I'm going to like this? Or do I really like this? Is this finding a new, a new gear in me that I want to talk about? And that's step two. Um, and if you don't like it, guess what? Go back to explore again. You're almost out, you're out almost no money. You're out almost no time and you're just starting it again. And you might do that a few generations and that's fine, but that's step two. And then three is to test it. And then that, this is when you really lean into it. This is where it gets a little bit awkward in that you kind of kind of start telling people what you're doing on the side. Um, 
And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be stated in a way as, Hey, the, I'm, I want to quit my job and this is what I want to do, but you got to be like, Hey, look, I'm passionate about coaching and this is what I want to do. This, I want to do this on the side. And so you got to test the thesis. Can, can this work? Can I make a go of this? Can it, can it fulfill me over the next 40 years of my life doing this? And then the last one is the trade. Um, and obviously everyone, when they hear the trade, they think of the trade, the big trade, the, the last one, I'm quitting my job and I'm starting my company. And that is certainly a big trade, but you're going to make a whole bunch of little trades before that big one. And you're going to do it every week, every month, every quarter between when you start, you're going to go through, through this four-step process a number of times before you finally feel ready and ready is the wrong word before you finally have the courage to pull the lever. And that's the four-step step process. Explore one, two, learn and invest three, test the three thesis Four, trade for it. Of those four, which are the one that you find as you, as you have rambles with people and as you've researched this book, which of those four are the one that sort of trips people up the most? What's the hardest? I know you said that testing is the most awkward, but is there one that you see people sort of get to that roadblock and that's the, that's the one they have a tough time punching through? Um, most people, to be honest, haven't even started exploring yet. Um, and I would say that 80% of the people I talk to are at this place where they don't hate their job, by and large. They don't hate their job, um, but they hate that they don't have any control. And they hate that they um, have created this life for themselves where they're always answering emails. They're expected to answer text messages. They are often traveling nights and weekends. And that is just the expectation. And, and, it's, and they don't feel like they've got any ability to really corral that short of putting their career in jeopardy. And that's, I get it. I mean, that, that makes total sense. Of course, that's scary to, to say, you know what, I'm not going to take this trip or, you know what, boss, this isn't, this is your priority, not mine. I mean, that's, that's not something you can do. And so what they, what they arrived to me at is, look, I'm at this place where I'm feeling what you're saying. You're in my head. I'm hearing what you're saying. All the words you use to describe what people feel, I'm feeling. So I'm willing to trade. I'm, I, and I believe that there's a trade in front of me. There's a trade coming. And in my lifetime, I, I really want to do it. The problem, Juan, is I have no idea what that is. I have no idea. And that's, that's where the ramble starts. It's me really trying to kickstart this old brain wave that they used to have called dreaming, called fantasizing. You know, dreaming about what they what they one day might want to try, fantasizing about who they might want to help. I mean, those aren't the wrong words. They're, they sh we just forget how to do them because we're so damn busy wondering if we've got all of our work done and if we can go home to be a dad or a mom that we forget how to dream and have fantasies about the life we want to have someday. And instead, we get married to satisfying the urgent in exchange for the ultimate, the ultimate life we want to live. And so that's, we start every ramble. Like I said, 80% of them with, okay, well, let's, we got to get, the, what did you used to want to be when you were 24? You're 44 now. When you were 24, what did you think you were going to be doing when you're 44? Let's talk about that. What was your dream then? It doesn't take long, but man, they got to, they've got to start dreaming again. And you, you don't know what to explore until you have some idea of what your dream, the dream of your future life is going to look like. And so I'm telling you, most of the time we're starting literally at step one with what, what might your dream be? All right. Please don't take any offense to this, although I think I, I think you won't, but it's going to sound awkward and we embrace the awkward here on Normal 40. Um, one of the most um, popular episodes of the podcast, uh, coincidentally, has nothing to do with you. It's an episode that I did with your wife, Mindy. And I might tell you, Lon, one of the best things I read, and I had a, I had a chance to read Lon's book in advance. One of the best things that that I think is written in this book is, uh, is chapter six, The Other Side of Marriage is the title. And you know why it's best, Lon? It's not written by you. Again, it's written by Mindy. Talk to me a little bit about how you decided to, to enter this into your book. And it's obviously a deeply personal thing. You're asking your wife to share a lot of personal things, which I know if, if you've heard that episode uh, here called called The Marriage, you, you probably understand that. If not, it's it's highly recommended to listen to that. But take me through the process of, of asking Mindy to be involved in this project and, and literally author her own words uh, about your journey and about the Normal 40 process. One of the things I discovered 
there again back when I was wrestling and and I was wondering, gosh, you know, I'm talking 2019 years before I left when I before I even really started exploring. But I had all these feelings. Um, I was becoming a very average spouse. Um, I mean, I, I was distant. I was I was in a mood almost always. I was edgy. Um, and you know, my, and my kids would call me out. I was on my phone more than I care to admit. I mean, it was, it was, I was just, I was not anything. I was not all that impressive as a, as a dad or a husband. Um, if I get to score myself, I would say I wasn't lousy. It's just that, that I was in this state of, okay, is this it? Am I going to, am I, I'm at this place where I got to make a decision. Am I going to give this another 10 years or am I going to finally do something about how I'm feeling? And I would carry that anxiety with me through my day. And then I would bring it home. And when I finally, finally, um, started talking to my wife about it and full disclosure, it wasn't me who went in and had the awkward conversation with my wife. It was my wife sitting me down and saying, we need to, we need to talk about you and what's going on and why you're not happy. And, and I've got to know, if it's, you know, she, she was thinking it was her. She was, she was wearing this spouses wear it. Like if I'm not happy when I'm at home, um, the spouse thinks that maybe it's them, you know? And so it was hats off to her for embracing the awkward conversation. And she had it with me. And I realized then that was my opportunity to tell her what I was feeling. And I'm like, yeah, Hey, look, um, I know that, and this is where the whole premise of the contract came in. You know, you get married, you start having a family. Typically what happens is one parent stays home and one grinds. One goes and becomes the provider. And in my house, I was the provider. Um, my wife, when my daughter, who's now 19, was born, she, she left her profession of teaching and I was the provider. And I wore that and ground and climbed and I had a lot of success and I had a lot of success because of her, because she enabled me to be gone, put in the hours, do all the things. And so um, we got to this place where I wasn't feeling great, but I couldn't feel, I didn't feel like I had any options because I was the provider. I couldn't ask my wife to go back to work so I could start normal forties, you know, start this dream job or take a, take a job that pays less or whatever. My options were limited. We had this unwritten contract, the marital contract that we agreed to spiritually at some point in our marriage to say, Hey, look, uh, I'm going to be the grinder and grower. You're going to be home with the kids. And this is what we're going to do. And it was at that point that I realized, wait a minute, we can renegotiate these contracts. When my wife had the awkward conversation with me in 2018 or 2019, we decided we don't have to, this doesn't have to be the contract. We've got options. We can, we can do with this. So why Mindy to your question? Well, how did, how did she um, get a chapter and get a podcast? Because you can't, Dudes can't do this if they think that their spouse isn't on their team. One of the things that keeps people right where they're at is this unwritten contract. And it's an assumption people have, dudes have, that their wife wants something other than what they really want for them. And so I asked the question, you know, we've asked the question many times. What do I ask the question? On, on so many rambles. What does your wife want for you? And the answer I get is always, they hear, the guy hears, what does my wife want from me? And I get so often some version of, well, she quit working when we had kids and she deserves to be able to stay home. Um, she loves her. She loves her time in the summers with the kids. And we like the country club and we love to take the trips. And it's not fair for me to assume that, you know, she can has to go back to work or, you know, this too big a risk. And, and I just don't want to put her in that position. So instead what they do is they come home in a mood like I was doing. They come home in a mood. There's somebody, their spouse really doesn't really want to be around anyway, because they're kind of an asshole and their kids view is kind of a prickly old man. Who's, who's only thinking about work all the time. And so that's uh, that's, that's the quintessential conversation that, that when, when people show up. So back to your question, why Mindy? Um, Mindy is, uh, she's the one who forced the awkward conversation. And when we started this podcast, Adam, it was well before I thought I was going to really be serious about a book. Um, we were three or four or five podcasts in before we said, well, maybe it'd be good to hear Mindy's story because dudes need to hear that it's okay to have this conversation with their wife. They need the courage. They need the permission. They need to know that until they have this conversation, um, 
they're going to stay where they are. So Mindy agreed in about four seconds when I asked her if she'd do a podcast and she, and I'm like, and I didn't listen to it. You know, this, I wasn't on the podcast. The first time I heard it, I was in an airport flying home, bawling my eyes out, listening to you and my wife having a conversation about me hearing her side of the story about what she saw me going through. And it wasn't at all what I thought she saw about me and what I was going through before that conversation that, that she and I had. So it's so important. Why does Mindy have a chapter? Because it's empowering. It's the thing guys need, stereotypically speaking. This is a book um, that, that's going to resonate with the provider. Um, and, and guys need to know that maybe what they think their spouse wants from them is different than what their spouse really wants for them. And it's, it's all in an effort to open up the dialogue so that conversations can happen and that you can start exploring. One of the other most uh, popular podcast episodes, Lon, that we've done in our time together is one we titled The Financials. Again, if you haven't listened to that one, it's, it's definitely one that you want to get to. And you have a book specifically, or book, a chapter specifically dedicated to financials in the book. And I, and I feel like I was on the financials podcast. I heard what you talked about, but I feel like you get into much more depth in the book and really kind of approach it from a, a more personal angle. And you introduced something called the normal 40 insurance policy and sort of how to think about that. I'd, I'd love for you to kind of share more about that particular uh, anecdote you put in the book and sort of how you think about that. I feel like last time we talked about financials, we talked about it at a really high level, making sure you sort of understood what, what was at stake here. But I really love the level of detail you provided in the book. I'd love for you to share more more about sort of what you included in that chapter and a little bit more about your thoughts on what you call the insurance policy. So there's three things that'll keep where you're at. You don't think uh, it's not fair to your family. That's your belief. It's not fair, your fa fair, fair to your family to, to do something that feels risky. Um, your image in giving up all of the things that you've worked your life to this point to become your title, your office, um, all the, you know, all the possessions that you have, that'll, that will keep you. That's a hard thing to give up. And it is. Um, and the third thing is the financials and the risk of the, the, the risk you carry, you interpret in your mind as this extreme worst case scenario about what um, a bad financial decision can mean for your family and your image, the other two things that will keep where you're at. So it's, it's this circular kind of plague that that just kind of swarms around in your head. We're like, hey, I really want to do this. I think I'd be great at insert insert risk here, insert insert dream here. But man, if I did that, um, it wouldn't probably be fair to my my kids if I get it wrong. And it might hurt my image if it doesn't go right. And then my financials, you know, we, we might be living on the street. I mean, that's that's where your head constantly goes to is the worst case scenario is that you're living on the street. You know, that's where, where every worst case scenario goes. And it's just not true. It is absolutely just not true. So the, the insurance policy is kind of the, it is, I would call this one of the central parts of the, of the book of the trade. And it's a mind shift. I would, I would bet that anybody listening to this podcast who's still working, working pre-retirement, whatever that looks like for you and your dreams, um, is that you've lived most of your life putting money into a fund that you think you're not going to touch until your 67th or 70th, 70th birthday. Um, and depending on who you are and how good, you, how you treat your finances, that might be 3% of your income for the last 25 years, or it might be 15 or it might be 50. The point is in your mind, you you've told yourself that you're going to do the hard thing, the discipline thing of taking my, depriving yourself of something today to put it into a fund that you're not going to touch for 15 or 20 years from now. And you haven't, you haven't touched it. You haven't needed to, you've made you, it's, it's there. And so, um, and maybe let's use me as an example. I was 47. Um, and I wasn't going to touch that for another 20 years. And what I realized when I made the trade and what the insurance policy is, is that what if I took 10% of that number and everybody listening can do this math, you know, roughly what you have scrolled away already um, and take 10% of that number and whatever that number is for you, what if you invested that number, that those dollars, 10%, you pulled it out of retirement and you put it into another account 
So now it's not your retirement account anymore. It's the bet on me account. It's your goddamn right account. It's your son of a bitch. We're going to do this account. It doesn't feel like I'm taken from retirement anymore. It's the holy shit. We're going to do this now. Do this. Obviously, this is a conversation with your wife and you, you build the momentum. The, the book explains how to do that as well. But you put this money aside. And by the way, if you have a 401k, you've lost more than 10% in the last year in your, in your balance anyway. So put that money aside and it is your bet on you account and you use it to bet on you. I mean, that's what I did. I took a, a, a percentage of my money that I wasn't going to spend in for, for 20 years. And I bet on me. I bet on me to build a following. I bet on me to create a curriculum. I bet on me to get hired as a coach. And I bet on me to write a book. And I'm spending money today. I've traded. I've traded money that I thought I would use for, for retirement to live the life, to build the life I'm living now. And so that's 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 the trade. And the insurance policy is if I wouldn't have done that, if I'd have grounded out another 10 years, 20 years, and I'd have looked back on this day and I wouldn't have made the bet on me, I wouldn't have taken 10%, just 10% of the money that I was going to use someday and use it to bet on my dream at this point in my life when I'm ready and, and, and willing, and I have this dream that I want to fulfill, then I'm going to get, I'm going to turn 57, 67, 77, and 87, and I'm going to live with regret. The trade taking 10% invest in betting on you today is an insurance policy against the regret of wishing you'd have tried. It's a insurance policy against future regret. And I believe that. I don't think even, even if this hadn't worked for me and it's working, I don't think I could have got through this and said, damn it, I wish I wouldn't have chased my dreams. I wish I wouldn't have tried to inspire a thousand lives. I wish I wouldn't have spent 10% to meet you, Adam, and create a podcast and have hundreds of letters already of people saying, thank you for showing up for me. I follow you. I listen to you and I needed you. It's impossible to, to regret that trade. So that's the insurance policy, man. This is a, again, another awkward question, Lon, and I, I want to make sure I set this up and preface this. I, I think one thing that, um, as I read the book there, there's one chapter in particular that, you know, really, um, struck with me and, and something that, um, as I read, I, I couldn't stop reading. And, you know, I, I found my, my mouth opening wider and, and tears welling in my eyes. And, and Lon, you shared a very personal story about your family. And, and I, I don't necessarily want you to get into that story now. I think that's, that's best safe for the book and the context and the flow of it. But I, I do want to you know, do two things. One, um, I do want to mention, you know, people come to you and you often talk about being the internet mistress. Um, and a lot of people share a lot of personal things with you and probably tell you some things that you've said before that you're not sure they've ever told anybody before, right? You may be the first time they've actually said the words out loud is when they're staring across from you on a zoom call. Uh, and, and that's a really awesome responsibility. And one I know you take very seriously, but why, what I admire about you is that you're also willing to be very open and share about yourself as well. And you do that in one of the chapters in the book. It's a chapter called The Trade of a Lifetime. Again, I don't want you to get into the specifics of it. And, and it's a heavy subject matter and one we probably need to save more time for. But my, my broader question to you is, again, a very personal story about your family. What sort of inspired you and gave you the courage to sort of add this anecdote into the book and share something that it's probably not something you've shared with a lot of different people uh, in your lifetime? Why open it up to the normal 40 audience? When, um, you know, different people from my life are going to read these chapters and, and they're going to relate. They're going to know the stories before they need to read them. Very few people are going to know all the stories, um, of, of the, the trades and the, the journey to date. And chapter 12 is one of them that a lot of people don't, don't know a lot about, to be quite honest. Um, and just to, just to set it up, I'll, I'll tell you this. Chapter 12, I, I sent out 40 copies of the book to people I've never met. Um, 41 with you, Adam, I'd, I'd met you. Uh, and so you've, you've got the book, but uh, 40, pe 40 people got an early copy of the trade um, and they're people I'd never met. So these aren't like friends. These aren't, this isn't my family. This isn't people I went to college with. They're people I didn't know. They're people who are followers and they can relate and they um, agreed to read the book. And my ask was, if you read the book, and you like it, 
Will you please endorse it and leave a testimonial? And I have 37 of those testimonials back. 37 of them left a testimonial. And the other three I followed up with and they're like, I just didn't get around. I, I haven't got through it yet. So there, there you have it. But of the 37, I asked them, what was the most impactful part of the book? And you picked out two of them. Um, what's happening on the other side of the marriage? Um, the financials, I guess, uh, uh, is another one. And in uh, the box, a chapter called The Box, which we, we probably won't chat about here, we, but we've talked about it before. But the one that's most impactful far and away is the chap, what's chapter 12. And it's a chapter, uh, it's a story about one of the hardest um, non-professional times of my life. And it's a story about my daughter and what, what she was wrestling with right under a roof that I shared with her. And, um, you know, it's a, it was a stark reminder and all of this came to a head the week I resigned. And I tell, I tell the story in, in great detail in the book and it's emotional. I, I, I have to reread the book several times, of course, through the editing process. I haven't made it through my own chapter without, without crying because it's so fresh and real and close to um, being something that could have been the worst day of my life. Dangerously close to that. So, um, you know, look, I, I don't want to be all cryptic because it's in a book and it's there and we're going to be able to talk about it. I mean, it's a story about mental health and it's a story about the shit that parents see and don't see. And it's a, this, a story about the things you can be too busy to even know are going on. And you've got to, as a parent, parenting is hard. It's hard work being a parent and a provider and a leader of a teenage, a teenager is hard. And we're playing by new rules as parents. We, I mean, this, the, the ability to have other teens. So you got COVID and you got smartphones and you've got the combination of those two things. And we're the parents who are having to figure out what, how do we parent through this? What's right and what's wrong. And if we, and if we're not careful, we're, and we're too busy, there's a lot we can get wrong. And I, I write about what I got wrong um, and what it almost cost us as a family. And, uh, and it's heartfelt and emotional. And that is the chapter again and again that I think all 37 people said that chapter. I had, I had one dude, uh, a colonel in the military, said, I'm not a crier. I sat in my office and cried when I read that chapter because he could relate. Because we as parents know we can it's hard and can relate to that type of thing. One more thing I want to say, Adam, I like to put in the book shit that nobody wants to talk about. The things that are going on in your life that you don't like to share with people. The shit that you feel you shouldn't share with people, you can't share with people, and you assume you're the only one doing it because nobody else is talking about it. And it was the last chapter I added. I thought I was done with the book and I wrestled with it. And then I talked to my daughter and I said, Grace, I truly believe that what you've gone through is going to be your superpower someday. And if you're okay with it, I want to write a chapter from my standpoint. I said, Grace, you know, your, you know, your story, you know what you lived through. Um, and you know, the, you know what you've wrestled with, but I want to tell the story from my perspective as a dad and from your, and, and as a parent and what, what we felt. And then I said, Grace, I want you to read it and you got to be okay with it. You have to sign off on this. And, uh, um, so I wrote the chapter. I got back from Florida and I wrote the chapter and Grace was here from college. I said, all right, I want you to read this chapter. So she went back down into her room and she came up probably about 35 minutes later and she was crying and she goes, God, dad, I had no idea. I had no idea. And she goes, I don't even remember some of these things that I remember. Cause I mean, you, you can imagine, um, we, we were coming at this from two different points of view. I was coming at it from, oh my God, this is my daughter. Where have I been? And she was coming, she was coming at it from, I'm struggling and I don't know why. And, um, and so it's, it, it's a, it's a beautiful chapter and it's shit people aren't talking about. Um, and my mission is to put it in, put it on the table so that there again, keep in mind, my mission is to help people avoid future regret. And I, I hope that by, Grace and I and Mindy putting that in the book that maybe it encourages a conversation that 
helps ensure that the tough conversations and um, the awareness that you need to have as a parent is happening. Again, it, it was a chapter uh, very similar to how you described. My 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 jaw just kept dropping lower and lower as I read it. And again, I I won't share all the details. I think it's it's something that um, you know when when you when you see it in the book, you'll know what it is. But you know, obviously, Lon, she's not on the on the show with us. But uh, my my hats off to Grace for her strength uh, and her courage uh, in that story. And uh, it, it certainly is one that walks away and, and makes you really think about a lot of different things too. So um, you know. My, my tip of the cap to, to Grace for her strength and her courage. But let's let's end in a couple of questions for you here. Let's take the, the, the mood in a different direction now, awkwardly, as always. Lon, who is this book for? Right. I, I, one of the things that you always do, you and I just had a nice ramble the other day. I, I emailed you on a whim and said, man, I'm, I'm going through some stuff. I got to talk. And you were like, what time? And we talk about a bunch of things. And one of the things that you do really well in your sessions is you talk about visualizing, right? Visualize who you're talking to. Who is this for? How does this work? So you're sitting down in, in, in South Dakota and Florida, maybe in Idaho. I don't know. And you're writing this book. Who were you picturing on the other end reading it? What was the person? Describe who's reading your book on the other side. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that the easy thing, um, Adam, is to say me. I mean, I mm. was, I, when I started Normal 40, I started simply by writing my story to me. And like I said, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a journaler. I take notes. And so much, that's how I was able to kind of go back and recreate what was this process I went through. And it was all there in black and white. Here's what I was doing. I just put labels to them. And, um, and so I, I started, I showed up to LinkedIn. I just started telling my story and thinking that I had, I had, and, and when people show up to me, they think their story is unique. Now, the, the specifics of their story is unique, but what they feel the words they use to describe how they feel when they finally call me are the same basic words. What they have, how they feel, and what they want tend to be almost the same thing. And that that became fascinating to me early in the process. I'm like, there is a real pattern here. So um, to answer your question, who's, who's the book for? It's for anyone who has, who's ever shows up to work proud of the work they've done, feeling good about what they've accomplished. And they still are feeling shy, short, um, distracted, far away from whatever, off mission, off the things that used to fulfill them. And they don't know why. They don't know why they don't feel like they used to do. You know, and so like I said, we've, we've gone through this before. What they, they feel all the same thing. They feel like they're an autopilot. They feel frustrated, controlled, unhappy, lost. There's a feeling of guilt. We did a podcast called The Guilt. It's one of the things that until I say, I bet you feel guilty about some of this. It's the first time they'd be like, shit, you mean that's a real emotion I can have about having living a good life? I can feel guilty? I'm like, yeah, guess what? You can. It's normal to have done so much and have so much and provide a lifestyle for your family that's so good and still feel guilty and you feel guilty because you want something else and you spent 20 years getting to where you are that shit is guilt-ridden of course you're gonna feel guilty it's okay and so those are the things you're feeling you're feeling bored and annoyed and caged and alone and now you feel like you're getting older i know that i'm writing to that person who's angry stale lost stuck and they feel like they've got another big hit in them but they don't want to do it for someone else. They don't want to report to someone else. If they want to take a Monday off and then a Tuesday off and a Wednesday off, they want to do it without having to justify it or feel any guilt about that. They just want to do it. That's the person I'm talking to. And I'll tell you, it doesn't come easy. It's not free. It's a trade. And once you realize that you've got everything you need to make that trade, man, you've got options. But until you think that you don't have, you're not wired, you're not gifted, you're not ready, all that shit you're going to tell yourself, for as long as you believe that, you're going to stay right where you are and you're going to get grumpier and grumpier and you're going to get one day closer to regretting that you didn't do it yesterday, last year, or a decade ago. That's who this book is for. If you've got another dance game, um, this book is for you. I want to say one more thing. This is really important. When people come into my, my group on LinkedIn, I ask them five questions. And the questions are, Will you be working in the same place, doing the same work in five years? 80% of the people answer, no, no way. Okay, great. Question two, do you know what you want to do instead? 
70% say no. No way. Okay, well, just think about that. Think of that anxiety that's brewing. I don't want to stay here. I don't know what I'm going to do. Ah, uh, shit. I better call this dude on the internet. See what we can figure out here. Question three, does your spouse know? And about 60%, yeah, my spouse knows. But that means 40% haven't even communicated with the person they're sharing a bed with. I'm fucking miserable. I'm dying here. I'm doing my job. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm living out my end of the contract and I'm not happy. I'm slowly withering away. So if you're wondering why I'm in a mood, this is why you didn't do it to me, honey. It's not your fault, but I don't know how to deal with it. So here I am. That's, that's question three. Question four. I love are your best days of your life in front of you? Almost. I mean, it's like 87%. Hell's yes. They're 48. My best days are in front of me. And in fact, they should be starting right now. So this, this is my guy. And the last question is, do you, do you get to use your core skills through the course of your day now? And it's about 40% of the time is yes. 50% of the time is, is sometimes. So, okay, this is my guy. Who's this book for? The guy who knows, the guy or gal who feels like they're going to be doing something else in five years, the guy or gal who isn't sure what it is and how to find it, the guy or gal who hasn't had all of the conversations they need to give have to feel like they've got the permission they need to go do something else, uh, the person who knows the best days of their lives are right in front of them. If they could only dial it in and figure out what it's going to be, and the person who knows that they've got some core skills that they just want to bring to the universe to help help people in a way that they haven't been able to do it before. That's the dude. And I talk to him every day. And I think that describes almost everyone. That's why I call it normal 40. It's normal. And it happens somewhere around the time you got 40 years left to live. So normal 40, baby. Here we are. Thanks for asking that question. It kind of lit me up. It really did. Last one for you on the book. So uh, people are going to read this book and absolutely should. And inevitably, with every book, you get to the last page and you read the last words and you close the book or you close your app or whatever you're reading on. And, and so, Lon, when you get to that moment, when the person reading your book reads the last words and closes the page, what do you want them to say? It's time. I want them to say it's my time. And I want them to feel um, like it's possible. I want them to know they're not alone. And I want them to feel the joy, the release, the true release of the pressure, like this big exhale of, yeah, this is going to be hard, but holy shit, it's possible. It is possible. Here's a very basic plan of how it is possible. It won't be easy and it isn't obvious. Those aren't, that's not what I'm selling. That's it's, it's not easy and it's not obvious, but holy shit, is it possible when you put some time into it? I want people to feel like maybe just maybe they can get their life back. And here's, here's the ultimate thing of the trade. And, and I probably should have, I, I should have, when we talked about the, the financials and the trade and the insurance policy, here's really what you're doing with the trade. If you can take 10% of your income, your, excuse me, 10% of your net worth and invest it in building a new life. And if you can do, if you can build the exact life you want, now your spreadsheet, the one that you're, you're, you, you work on every quarter when you get your bonus or at year end when you get your bonus, that spreadsheet that says, if I work this much longer and I save this much money and the market has this much return, I can retire on this date. And then you get to that date and then you're like, oh, it's still not enough. And then you move the date out that that spreadsheet. If you can redo that spreadsheet and instead of falling over half dead, burned out, burned up, destroyed, and your kids are all out of the house when you retire in 10 years and you can build that, you can take the next one year building a life that you will do happily with a smile on your face for the next 25 years and have a revenue stream from it. Guess what? You don't need a, as big a nest egg to, to, retire on, you're going to have income following you along all the way through while you're doing the work that you love. That is the element of the trade. You're going to trade, you're going to trade your grind for something you want to do for notionally the rest of your life. Normal 40, Adam, I'm telling you, I refuse to make this a shitty job. I refuse to do it. I'm going to do the things that I love to do and I'm going to do it in a way that's going to pay me something. I'm not here to get rich. I'm here to change lives. I'm going to do it in a way that fulfills me every day so that I wake up excited. 
whether it's to make nothing, make $100, make $1,000, or make $10,000. Whatever it is, is the, that's the bonus. I'm going to every day, wake up every day motivated to do the things that I want to do, help the people I want to help. And so that, because what fuels me is admiration. At the end of the day, what I want is a letter. I want a letter from dudes saying, you showed up, you gave me an alternative, you gave me the courage to try, I've got a new life, thank you. That is payment to me. And so I want to create a lifestyle that I will do for the rest of my living days happily, and it's helping people for the long haul. And it's not a grind. It's not something that I retire from. It's something I do the rest of my life. That is what I'm trading for. All right, give us more details on, on the book, Lon. When when do we see it uh, hit the uh, the shelves or the the ebooks, if you will? Where can people pick it up at? And I know you've, you're planning some some events in and around the launch of the book as well. What can you share with us about where people can find more and, and maybe even meet up with you uh, as you prepare to uh, to unleash the trade onto the the broader world? Yeah, man, I get asked a lot from people. Actually, uh, what can I do for you? And here, if if that's you. Um, I've got something you can do. I'm, I'm doing something just absolutely stupid. I've set a goal. Um, I want to be a New York Times bestseller. I do. Um, and there is no reason. I've got no business. A dyslexic farm kid from South Dakota who shows up and talks, um, talks about feelings on the internet has no business, no business being a New York Times bestseller. But I want to do it. And I think this little book, and it's not big. It's a few hundred pages. You'll, you'll blast through it in an afternoon. In fact, most of the people who read it did. And um, um, I want it to be a New York Times bestseller. So what does that mean? The way that works is you have to sell a lot of books on a single day. Um, and that day is notionally launch day. And that day right now, it looks to be our, our goal is, is July 19th. We want to launch the book on July 19th. And um, um so anybody who's interested in a presale, I'm going to put out a link. I'll put out a link in here in the next couple of weeks that you can sign up for, but really it's not a presale. I just want you to really what I'm asking for is you're raising your hand saying, I'm going to buy this at, you know, I'm just kind of notionally saying it at 9 a.m. Central on July 19th, because one, I want the book Two, I want to, I want to help Lon live his dream of maybe just maybe catching the catching a shot at Atlanta on the New York times bestseller. And, and, uh, I want to do my part to do that. And so, um, I'll give the exact times, but that's really what you can do. Um, pay attention to my website, sign up for the rambler. I'm going to be posting about it there. Um, and, uh, rambler is my newsletter and I'll, I will have a link out there for people who want to know exactly how they can help. And really it comes down to the timing, the number of books you buy, all right. Pretty obvious there. And then the timing of those books. And if you can do those things for me, I would be really, really grateful. Besides the book, Lon, you mentioned a few other items. Where can people uh, get involved and learn more and just be a part of everything going on at Normal 40? Yeah. So a couple of things. You, of course, thanks for, thanks for the podcast, Adam. Thanks for doing this. I know, um, I know you, I, uh, I throw things at you and you just always adjust and, and roll with it and you do an awesome job. So of course, please keep coming here. Um, two, LinkedIn, I show up there every day and I do that for people and you don't have to like, comment, but I do it for you. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are my guy. You are who I'm running to. And I want you to know that I take every day I post, every day I write, I post that day. Those, these aren't batched. These aren't ahead. These are, these are that day. And, uh, and so I'm doing that for you. But I've got a private community on LinkedIn. It's just about three thousand now, and actually, I think it, I think we're at twenty nine ninety nine. I think um, wow. so. It's three thousand people. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Um, and then I've got a I've got a paid community that I show up in twice a month. We do our calls twice a month, and it's just us doing this. Imagine this with twenty five or thirty other people, Adam, and we're doing live live ammo. I'm coaching people in a group. Somebody raised their hand and said, "Hey, here's something I'm wrestling with." Everybody learns from it, and we do that a couple times a week. And then I put other content in there and other things to work on. And that's called the insider. You can find that on my website too. Um, and then we continue to put up normal 40, normal 40 TV on YouTube. So you can check that out too. 
Again, a lot of great places for you to consume Normal 40, but let's let's make no mistake about it. Normal 40 wouldn't exist if it wasn't for all you out there continuing to show up, to support, to just be a part of the community in whatever small way or large way that you, you see fit. So Lon and I have, have made a solemn pledge to all of you out there. If you keep showing up, we will keep showing up. And obviously, we will always show back up here on Normal 40, the podcast. For Lon, my name's Adam, and we'll see you on the next video.